Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Our scripture reading today is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Dear friends, let's love each other. Because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God, because God is love. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent his only son into the world so that we can live through him. This is love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sin. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. This is how we know we remain in him and he remains in us because he has given us a measure of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If any of us confess that Jesus is God's Son, God remains in us and we remain in God. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who remain in love remain in God and God remains in them. This is how love has been perfected in us so that we can have confidence on the judgment day because we are exactly the same as God is in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. We love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates a brother or sister, he is a liar. Because the person who doesn't love a brother or sister who can be seen can't love God who can't be seen. This commandment we have from him, those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and sister also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Before the pandemic, before Pastor Emily and I uh, came to First Church, even before Pastor Tom retired, uh, the pastors and leaders of this church started working on a vision statement And my understanding is they worked long and hard and prayerfully about what that vision should be. And many of you I know know it. It's to seek and love God and love and serve people. How many of you have heard that before? Seek and love God. Yeah, good. I see a lot of hands up. Seek and love God, love and serve people. You've seen it on the walls and some of the things we do. It's a good vision statement. It's a simple statement. It's a clear statement. It provides an overarching clarity of of who we are as a church, what we're called to do, what kind of church we're striving to be. A church that's rooted and grounded first and foremost in love. 
That love gets expressed and lived out in the ways we seek God and ways we serve people. It's a good statement. A good vision statement is clear, concise, focused. This one is good. It's biblical. It's theological. It's spiritual. And best of all, it's pretty easy to remember. The vision is seek and love God, love and serve people. What's the vision? What's the vision? You got it. That's it. I'm I'm done. That's good. (laughs) You got it. Now, now here's a question. It wouldn't be nice. Um, So what? So what? I mean, you know, it's a good statement, but so what? Why does a church even need a vision statement? Why does First Church need this statement? After all, don't we know how to be the church? We don't have the Bible that tells us what the church should be. As Methodists, we have the book of discipline. We have a bishop. Don't they tell us what we're supposed to be? A church as old as as First Church is, don't we have a pretty good track record already of of traditions, of of practices that we, we know how to do church. Why do we need a vision statement to tell us anything, right? We, we just commissioned a mission trip. We, we had a lock-in last night. Uh, we just ce- celebrated, remembered a, a week of, of tragedy where we came together as a church to serve our community during a time of need. We're having a worship service. Don't we know how to do church? Why do we need a vision statement? The reason you need a vision statement, I think, is this, that, that oftentimes we know what to do But it's easy to forget or overlook why we do it. Vision is all about the why. It's easy to fall into a pattern, even maybe especially as religious people, because it's familiar, because it's what we know, because it's that time again to fall into that same old, same old pattern, habit, motion of religiosity. A clear godly vision, which I think we have, keeps us focused on why we do what we do and who we do it for. And our why is love. That's our why. Why do we do a mission trip? Because of love. Why do we come together for a lock-in? Because of love. Why do we gather for worship? Because of love. It's all about love. Our why is rooted in the love of God, and we express it as we seek God and love and serve people. Now, let me, let me be clear about this. A, a vision ought to stretch us. A, a, vision isn't, a vision statement isn't an opportunity to post on the wall for us to say to ourselves and others, look at what we do really well. Let's all pat ourselves on the back. We love and seek God. We love and serve people. Good job, right? Now, a good vision statement ought to always challenge us. It ought to provoke us. It ought to stretch us to do and be more. A a statement like ours ought to lead us to ask questions like, are we consistently teaching and preaching a clear, concise message of God's love? Are we learning and practicing spiritual disciplines that are taking us deeper into God's love? Are we consistently practicing hospitality and welcome and care and fellowship that expresses love how far how wide is the reach of our love who do we include in our love and who intentionally or unintentionally do we exclude from our love how do we love our homebound who can't be with us do they know that they're loved do do we love people who are different than us how do we express that love 
to one another, to our guests, to people in the community? Do we manifest our love and our generosity and our service? Does the love that we have attract people to First Church and make them want to stay? And I would take it a step further, that a vision statement, even one that's as memorable as ours, is only as good as the degree to which, A, it's broadly known by the members, ours is, B, it's easily remembered and repeated, ours is, C, is valued. It's one thing to say it, but do we value it? Do we think it's important? And D, are we living it out in specific in actionable ways. You see, a vision really only matters, not because we put it up on the wall or put it in the bulletin. A vision only really matters if it reflects our actual lived out priorities, how we budget and spend our money, how we, how we strategize to live it out and seeking and serving, how we staff our church, how we plan for the future. And so while we have a vision statement, I think one of the things that we need to work on as a church is some of that, of how do we put this vision into action? How do we align our staff and budget and plans and calendar and programs around it? And so that's what we're doing this summer. We're going to talk about our vision, and we're calling the series Love Is, Love Does, because love is an action. Love is, love does. For the next three weeks, we're going to look at key passages of scripture that describe biblically what love is. And then the rest of the summer, we're going to talk about what does it mean to seek God in love and what does it mean to serve others in love. Today's scripture is 1 John chapter 4, and it begins in verse 7. Dear friends, let's love each other. That's clear enough, isn't it? Dear friends, let's love each other. Because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love doesn't know God, because God is love. That, that phrase in the scripture I read earlier is repeated over and over. God is love. Love is God's self-definition. When scripture wants to describe who God is, it just uses one word, love. God is love. There's a lot of other things we can say about God. There are a lot of other titles given to God, descriptors of God. God is the creator of all that is. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. God is everywhere. God is eternal, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who was and is and always will be. God is righteous. God is kind and compassionate. God is just. God hears the cries of the needy, right? All of these things are true. But I would argue that if you don't begin and end with love, you could distort any one of those things. When we start with love and we end with love, it begins to explain why God created us. God created us in love. When we, when we talk about love as the starting and the end, that justice makes a whole lot more sense. God's care and compassion makes a whole lot more sense. That God's power and how God uses God's power makes a whole lot more sense. You have to begin and end with love to understand who God is. Author Christine Aroni Seen writes, love permeates. Everything God is and does. Many years ago when I was in campus ministry, I had a student named Adam. Adam was angry. If, if I had one word ever to describe ang uh, Adam, he was, it was just anger. He was angry all the time, and he was kind of mean. And that affected all of his relationships. He, he was judgmental and harsh in his comments to people, and he would just tear people apart. 
And when you asked him about God, he knew God as a God of anger and wrath. One day I was having a very pained conversation with Adam, and I was pointing out all the passages of Scripture that talk about God as love, and he would just dismiss every one of them. That's, that's just too soft. That's just too wimpy. That's not who God is. And I said to him what I just said to us, you can't know God if you don't understand love. It's so clearly part of the main thing the scripture's trying to tell us about God. And he just rejected it. I said, Adam, and I want to tell you when I said this, my heart was breaking for him as hard as he was to deal with. I said, Adam, I don't know if we're talking about the same God. Because when you remove love from the equation of who God is, you're talking about something completely different because God is love that's God's self-definition I think I think part of the problem that Adam was having and that maybe sometimes we have whether we apply the word love to God or not is that in the English language we just use the word love so broadly I love God I also love my wife, Kelly, romantically. I also love my children as their father. I love my mom as her son. I love Pastor Emily as a colleague. I love being a pastor most of the time. Um, I, I also love riding my Harley. And I love my collection of bonsai trees. And I love a really good cup of coffee. And I love that we're not wearing masks today, or some of us aren't. And I love Ben and Jerry's ice cream way too much. And I love singing old U2 songs. And now what on earth do I mean if I'm talking about loving Ben and Jerry's and loving God? Does it mean the same thing? Right? That's the problem. The English language is sometimes a challenge for us. And take it even a step further. I think in the American culture that, that love is often talked about in very kind of warm and cozy, sentimental, sometimes romantic kind of ways defined by Valentine's Day or or Hallmark, or Hollywood, or rom-coms, or romance novels, or pop music, right? That the, the basically when we think of love, we think of hearts and flowers and puppies or something. Now all that's fine, don't get me wrong. No, that's, no, that's bad. I, I'm just saying that when the Bible talks about love, it, it's talking about more. In fact, we'll get into this another day, but there are multiple words in both the Hebrew and the Greek of the, Old, the, Greek of the New Testament that describe love. But when love is applied to God, it always means something that's way deeper than just sentimentality or warm feelings or romance. Anytime the Bible talks about God as love, it's talking about something that's deep, and substantive and unwavering, not dependent upon whether God feels love for us in a particular day. It always talks about God's faithfulness, even when we're unfaithful. God's commitment, even when we're uncommitted. God is steadfastness, that God's love is unconditional, and that it always is given. Sometimes when we talk about love, it's kind of reciprocal, right? I'll love you if you love me. Who loves us more? Who says it first, right? That's kind of weird. God is just, I love you, right? It's just, that's a fact. God's love is always outward directed and always put into action, right? It's not something that comes and goes. And Scripture tells us, especially the passage I just read, that God's love always comes first. That we love 
because God first loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice that deals with our sin, 1 John 4.10. Now, don't get me wrong. We often associate love with the kind of that warm feeling, and I think there is a warmth of God's love. There's an affection in God's love. A few weeks ago, I talked about uh, the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, whose heart was strangely warmed. I do think we can feel God's love, and God wants us to. I do believe God is affectionate with us. I'm just saying that God's love is, isn't um, defined by hallmark. Follow what I'm saying? In fact, anytime we try to describe God, I think one of the things we, we do is, is we start with our definition. It's like, well, this is what love is, or this is what good is, and so is God that? Rather, I think we should go the other way and say, well, how does God define what love is, and do I understand love that way? How does God define what goodness is? I think that's part of, part of what Adam was doing in, in his own anger and wrath toward people. He was defining God in those terms. He was creating a God in his own image. And we, we all do that from time to time. Brennan Manning writes, God is not moody or capricious. He knows no seasons of change. He has a single, relentless stance toward us. He loves us. He is the only God man has ever heard of who loves sinners. False gods, the gods of human manufacturing, despise sinners. But the Father of Jesus loves us all, no matter what they do. 1 John 4, 9. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent his only Son into the world so that we can live through him. John three sixteen. I know you know it. God so what? loved the world, that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. You see, here what scripture does, it says, God is love, but you want evidence? God showed you that love by sending Jesus. Jesus is, for us, the full, complete manifestation and expression of God's love. You want to know what God's love is? Look to Jesus. Jesus embodies God's love. He enfleshed God's love. Jesus is God's loving commitment to us. Jesus is God never giving up on us. Jesus is God coming for us to rescue us. Jesus is God showing that love is sacrificial as we see on the cross. God is, Jesus is God's offer of forgiveness and new beginning and restoration and reconciliation. Jesus is God's invitation to love God in return. Jesus is the fullest expression of the faithfulness of God's love to us. The author Rob Bell says, Jesus is God coming to us in love. Sheer, unadulterated, unfiltered love, stripped of everything that could get in the way, naked and vulnerable, hanging on the cross, asking the question, what will you do with me? Romans 8 asks the question, like, what can separate us from the love of God? You ever wonder that? What could, sep- what could, what could get in the way of God loving you? Paul responds, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Not death or life, not angels or rulers, not present or future things, not powers or height or death or anything that is created. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Now, in the coming weeks, 
there's a lot more that we can say about God's love, and we will. But I want to end today without really going the direction that I think John intended for us to go. And it's this, that once we come to the realization that God loves us so much, once we realize that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus, the the natural response, the, the God desired response is that we love each other. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, dear friends, let's love each other. Because love is from God, and everyone loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love doesn't know God, because God is love. And then in verse 11, dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. If you ever took a philosophy class, this is, this is classic deductive if-then logic, right? If God is love, right? If that's a fact. If that was demonstrated to us in the life of Jesus, then, right, the conclusion is then we must love God and each other. And notice the opposite is true, that if we don't love each other, that means that we don't seem to understand God's love for us. This is the logic of the great commandment, right? Remember, Jesus was asked, what's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's only possible because God loved us first. And there's a natural outcome. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Michael Curry writes, Love is meant to saturate all levels of human living and existence because the God who gave us life is love. So we've decided this is our vision, right? To seek and love God, to love and serve people. But it's biblical. We we choose this vision because it's what the Bible teaches us to do. It's what we've got to do if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus. Love has to be the main thing that we teach and preach. It, It has to be the framework for how we comprehend God. It has to guide the the words that we speak about God, the words we speak about and to each other. Love has to be the lens through which we read God's word. Love has to be the reason we put money in the offering box. It motivates our generosity. Love has to be our motivation for reaching out to people, for offering hospitality, for serving people. It's the basis for our relationships. Love must permeate everything we do. That's the vision. We live it out by seeking and serving, but love is the vision. So I'll end with this. Uh, Author Barbara Brown Taylor says, in every circumstance, regardless of outcome, the main thing Jesus has asked me to do is love God and my neighbor as religiously as I love myself. The minute that I have that handled, I will ask for my next assignment. Did you catch that? The minute I have love for my neighbor handled, I'll ask God for my next assignment. For now, my hands are full. Friends, we have an assignment. It's expressed as a vision. Seek and love God, love and serve people. The assignment is to love. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Until we get that right, our hands are full. Let's pray. So teach us to love, O God. Teach us what love is. And then expand our hearts to fully receive your love, to live in your love, to know your love, to feel your love. 
and to freely give it away. Lord, pray again for our mission team that's leaving us next weekend. May they live in your love that week and share it with others. May we continue to do that as a church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.